Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Tradicom Crypto Show. Today's guest, you probably have no idea who it is. He is plucked from absolute obscurity. This man has only just arrived in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. I'm just joking. It's Tone Vase, the man of the moment, the guy who's been there from day one. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for tuning in from the wonderful Ukraine. Hey, Crypto Cobb. Glad to be back on the show, man. Thanks again. All right. There seems to be a little bit of a lag. Yeah, yeah I got gotcha. you. We'll deal with we'll deal with that later. It's all, all good. Hey, listen, man. It's been a long time since we've got together and had a chat. Listen, there's been a lot of stuff out there in the media about you. You've been dragged into various different things, and um, I, I wanted to speak to the man himself, get the word from the horse's mouth, as we so to speak say. And um, a lot of people have been saying that you've been very, very bearish on Bitcoin. Now, I've struggled to really believe that uh, in the most recent run up. I've spent plenty of hours with you. I know you as a trader. I know you as someone who can read markets. So you want to talk to what's been going on in the media about your bearish sentiment, because I just don't believe that you could be bearish for so long. Sure. Um, I, I can walk through it. So uh, in the beginning of the year, when Bitcoin was hovering around $3,000, uh, I actually was pretty bullish. I went bullish on Bitcoin when it dropped to approximately 4000 uh, but it was a short-term bullish trade. I felt that Bitcoin was a bit oversold. And um, I, I expected Bitcoin to rise to approximately five, uh, about $5.1, $5.2,000. And my maximum for that run-up was about six, six and a half to the area of the breakdown. Uh, now I took that I took the profit off of that trade after it crossed five thousand, and um, I never actually went short, so I wasn't fully bearish. But I felt that going straight up from three thousand to about six and a half was uh, it was a hundred percent move, and I thought Bitcoin needed a pullback, and I continued to wait for that pullback. I completely understand where you're coming from. Uh, I've been doing the math uh, recently. And um, essentially in 2017's bull market, which was the most notable of, of all the bull markets, uh, the average pullback uh, of 2017 was 35.25%. Now, the interesting thing to note from that pullback, and that pulled back into what I call the cradle zone, you, which you know I trade from, which is in between the 10 and the 20 period moving average. Now, the weekly hasn't pulled back to that. We haven't seen a 35% pullback. The most recent pullback maxed out at 30%. I would love to see a bigger pullback. And I was a little bit crucified, um, as we are, when we, have a, when we have opinions as traders, uh, when I was suggesting that you know, from the highs of, I think it was 9,000, we might, we might see a pullback to 6,600 to 6,000 as it made sense on the charts. And you're a technical analyst, as am I. Now, of course, that reversed, created an uptrend, and I found a trade at 8,089 8, to get long. But it still stands. And I, I had a lot of people shouting at me and carrying on. And we need to be as traders nimble uh, when price presents opportunities to be both long and short. And we need to be able to change our views on a dime. Now, where are you standing at the moment? Because obviously you said you closed your trade at about five, five or 5,000 from there. What's your opinion been on the most recent move on Bitcoin? Above that six and a half thousand zone, 
uh, just like you as a responsible trader, I need that pullback. And like you said, the statistics that you looked at, yeah. uh, the average was about 35% on uh, Bitcoins historically uh, for a pullback. And that's exactly what I was waiting for. As of the moment we crossed $6,500, I basically said I need a minimum of a 30% pullback and I need to see how the market reacts yeah. to that pullback. Now, my minimum was 30%. I anticipated a th uh, closer to 40 or 50% because we kept going up. I thought that nine and a half should be a reasonable pop yeah. for that 30 to 50% pullback. We fell about 25% in a single day. And that's not enough for me because I need that pullback not only to be a little bit bigger in price, but a lot bigger in time. So then we kept going higher. And once we hit that 13.8 thousand, we finally pulled back 30%. It took about a week. Yeah. Uh, again, I would have liked it to be a little bit longer, closer to two weeks. I would Me have too. liked it to be a little bit deeper, closer to 40%. But I met my absolute minimum requirements. We reversed from that 30%. And once we started to approach, <clears throat> the vicinity of that $14,000 high, which for me was 12 and a half, based on my uh, rules that I've learned 15 years ago and have served me well, <clears throat> that's for me the definition of going from a bear market to a bull market. Establish a new high, create a, a reasonable pullback based yeah. on the history of the asset, and then approach that high once again. So as of like yesterday or today, I finally have to become bullish based on strictly TA, but I don't like this exponential rise. And every time Bitcoin rises up exponentially, every time it goes up two, three, four hundred percent, it has a history of 80% corrections. I don't want to deal with another 80% correction. Now, if Bitcoin goes to 100,000, I, I welcome the 80% correction because it will just take us back to 20K. But if it, <laughs> Ups somewhere before 20,000 and before the halving, an 80% correction will be absolutely devastating. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me just suggest to you this. If you've been following my show for long enough, you will know that on my projections and my, not predictions, because I don't really do predictions, but on my projections and the way that I read a market and the tools that I use, now Tone trades a very different way to me. I have respect for this man who I'm speaking with right now. I have spent time one-to-one -one with this gentleman a couple of days when he was in Sydney. It's really difficult. Sorry. When you speak a certain language, if you're a trader, you speak a certain language, all right? And you, you can't teach that language. You either understand it or you don't. Now, I always got along really well with time, even if we didn't trade the same way. And the fact that you just said 12.5, my extension was 12.6. That was the point at which I thought now is a good time to be exiting. Now, of course, it did move to 14 or just prior to 14, but we were pretty much we were very close to that. I, I don't have a magic ball. I don't have a crystal ball. Our job as traders is to use the skills that we have. I mean, I've been doing this for 13 years. You've been doing it for longer. We are registered actual traders. We've been making a living from doing this. This is not somebody who came down in the 2017 bull run. These are people that are genuine traders in traditional markets. We use the same skill set to go into this Bitcoin market. 
This is why I think that you should ignore a lot of the press and the media. Listen to this person as you listen to me, because Tony and I have different ways of doing things. We arrive at very, very similar numbers. And that to me says like, I've respected you from the day that I met you, mate. Uh, we talked a lot. We had a few beers. We had a really blow out of a fun night. And um, I know you know how to read markets. And for those that sit out there and go, all he does is talk about markets. So what? You know, you take trades when trades present themselves. You commentate because that's the way you're going to make your bucks right now, right? You trade when the trades are available. You talk about them when they're not. I respect what you're doing. I respect what you're saying. And we speak a very, very similar language, even though we might come to the same conclusion in a different way. So where do we go from here is my question to you, Tone. Uh, well, at the moment, um, I, I do have to see prices going higher. Now, I use certain yeah. indicators you may or may not use. I'm a big fan of the Tom DeMarks TD sequential. Yep. And while it's starting, it, it might get a little toppy on the 12 hour and the daily chart, the weekly chart is still suggesting another four weeks of upside. Yep. And um, the reason why I really like that indicator is everyone uses price indicators. Everyone is like, at what price it's going to top, at what price it's going to top. But for me, price is only one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is time. I am just as interested in when is it going to top as at what price. And time-wise, we have more upside. We probably have another month of upside, probably going towards the end of the summer. How high that upside will be, I have no idea. But right now, if Bitcoin breaks that $14,000 zone, there is no resistance. I mean, sky is the limit. It can top at 18000 or 180. I mean, when an asset reaches a brand new all-time high, you have almost no price metrics no. that can tell it to you. I'm not an Elliott Wave fan. People are like, well, Elliott Wave will tell you where it tops. And I'm like, well, according to the Elliott Wave purist, the stock market should have topped like eight years ago, right? And it's still going. Um, I don't find Elliott Wave to be very useful in timing a top. You have Fibonacci extensions. Uh, but they can keep extending and extending and extending. Um, and my tool for that now becomes a TD sequential. It tells me on what day or what week it's going to top. Uh, but at what price, I really don't know. At this moment, we have broken all of the resistance levels. Yep. We, are, we, we are right at the 62% Fibonacci uh, based on the last bear market, which was uh, from 20K down to 3K. And for me, once you break the 62% Fibonacci, new all-time uh, to the upside, new all-time nice. highs are inevitable. And I have no idea where we go, but at this point, we're going higher. And all throughout the bear market, I kept telling people, Bitcoin, look, I try to predict Bitcoin as much as I can. I try to guide people as much as I can. But the asset is so unpredictable, you got to keep a hodl position no matter what. And if you're not a trader and you're not capable of making your own decisions, then you should be dollar cost averaging. Mm. So uh, no one should be upset. Uh, and if you didn't have any Bitcoin, the best time to buy it should have been yesterday. Like I've been saying uh, for the last five years that I've been <laughs> on YouTube and stuff like that. So I don't have a price target at this point. I just know we're going up. But because of what happened between 3,000 and 14,000, there will be another 80% correction. I was hoping that Bitcoin market has matured a little bit uh, <laughs> that, and we would be done with these crazy 80% corrections. 
we would have orderly declines of 20 to 40 percent, uh, you know, for the next 15 years. But once it goes up, you know, 400 percent without any pullback, there will be an 80 percent. It's now inevitable. I, I agree with you completely. And um, I mean, that's 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 why, you know, I do use indicators. I use the MACD, uh, but it's not it doesn't tell me when to get in a trade. It doesn't tell me when to get out of a trade. It tells me when to avoid taking a trade. That doesn't mean it's always a perfect bloody uh, indicator either. The indicators are an indication of price measured by time, as you quite correctly said. The, the king of our market, the king of any market, is price measured by time. As long as that data is correct, the only thing we've got is price action. So price action is my God, it's my queen, it's my Jesus, it's my everything you want it to call, right? Well, wh whatever your higher power is in trading, price action is my thing. I don't know where it's going to go. But I'm a trend follower and I'll keep trading that trend until I see signs of weakness. And right now, I don't see any signs of weakness. We've just set a new higher low on the daily and a higher high. Now, we haven't broken out the new uh, 2019 highs, but I don't see there being too much stopping it. I would love nothing more than to see a 30, well, actually, no. I want to see a 35 to 40% pullback because for me as a trader, the way I trade, it means... You know, I'm not going to start with a $6 million position, right? That's not where I start. You start and you go, right, 200 grand, 300 grand, 200 grand. And depending on your stop loss is how you lay your positions to get higher. Now, as it moves to one-to-one, -one, I'll scale out. That's a risk-free trade. Trail my stop. So I'm locking in profit as new opportunities arise. But if I get a nice, smooth-flowing market that gives me more entries, it means that, yeah, I can get up to that six, 10, 12 million dollar position. Each position is in profit. If I get stopped out on the lot, I'm still in profit. Now that's when I want to see that parabolic run. It's about, it's not just about trading strategy. It's about the strategy beyond actual entry. And I think that's really important. I think that's a big, big part of where people miss out. I think that's something that people like yourself and me, I mean, obviously I, I have education that I teach people. We're doing a around the world tour at the moment, starting in Australia. Um, I want to teach people that it's not just about the individual trade. It's about the bigger picture, how you build yourself in. And when the market permits you to build yourself in is what's really important. What are you looking for before you start to layer in some of those bigger trades as you build towards a very large position to effectively making millions of dollars? What are you looking for? Well, um, to me, uh, again, I break down individual trades. There's three types of trading in my view. There is uh, the, the sexy kind, which is trying to pick bottoms and tops, right? The hero's this kind. Is where, yeah. Right. This is the, the reversal trades, right? This is where you look for your candlesticks. This is, yep. this is what makes cool YouTube videos. I pick yes. the perfect bottom. I pick the perfect top. On the They're winner. great. Yeah. High risk, high reward. Uh, trading. I did not, I haven't had a, any chance to catch any of those in 2019. Like I, I couldn't time them. I didn't have good reversal candles. I didn't have good setups on TD Sequential. Now TD Sequential helped me a lot with these trades all throughout the 2017 bull market. Yeah, uh, they, they were great. Uh, TD Sequential called the perfect top at 3,000, 40% correction, called the perfect top at 5,000, 40% correction, called the perfect top at 7,600. 40% correction. Uh, I mean, it was, it was absolutely beautiful. Caught, caught me some bottoms too. Uh, same thing with reversal candles on weekly and daily. Uh, that's one type of trading. Now, the other type of trading is a significantly safer, uh, but not as sexy. This is your continuation trade. Chuck For in the me, middle. 
yeah, for me, the best way to enter those trades is off of ascending and descending triangles. Those are my absolute favorites. Okay. Now, uh, candlesticks will not help you there. Individual candlesticks won't help you there. No. The sequential may help you a little bit if it's uh, early on in the count and you're going with a green two candle above a green one candle, but it's mostly the triangle trades. I had a beautiful setup for a short trade at $6,000 as we broke the massive descending perfect, triangle. Wasn't it? it was perfect. Yeah, absolutely perfect. And, um, there, there weren't, there was also a perfect ascending triangle in 2016 that kicked off the bull market of 2016, mm -hmm. 17. And, um, and by the way, these triangles are like occurring in altcoins right now and they are breaking down. Um, Bitcoin hasn't had too many of those because again, we went straight up off the bottom. So that one didn't give me a chance to do it either. So uh, what happens is that the trade that has been working in Bitcoin and very few people do it and very few people know how to do it. And this is the third type of trading. And this is the kind of trading I specialize in, in the equity markets with options. This is your direction neutral spread trading. You mm. can do it in two forms. In the traditional markets, you would do, I would do it with option strategies in the equity space. But in the Bitcoin markets, you can do it with futures contracts, right? By basically, if you see um, the, the base price significantly different than the futures price, because yep. the futures price seems to be like five to 10% above sometimes and five to 10% below. Yep. So you can short one, long the other, and Make take the, the spread trade. Because yep. if you don't know where it's going and you can't time a top and you can't time a bottom, you should really start looking into direction those strategies. They're not sexy at all, they're not fun, but they have the lowest risk available to yeah. you. And I think they're awesome. I couldn't agree with you more, mate. I mean, look, my whole thing is about not being sexy. I, I don't pick tops, I don't pick bottoms. I mean, you, you pick your bottom too much, you get itchy. Uh, it's not really my game, you know? <laughs> like, people, got, people were asking me in the band, like, where's the bottom, where's the top? I don't, I, look, I don't care. I really couldn't care less. You know, If the market's falling, I'll be going short. I'll be using my three strategies, which are, breakouts as you say with the with your descending triangles i've got different uh views on on that like not not to a specific triangle but i can take a break without it having those sequential lower highs for example if there's a break short i mean there's a wonderful break at 8089 was my fill point i think the i think the point of the break was a little bit lower but i got a bad fill because it was a decent sized position but it's just about knowing where you're at and i, I always say to people you know like, with my education, it's all about picking the chunk in the middle. I, I don't care to be the hero at the top. I don't care to be the hero at the bottom because that's not where traders live. They don't live at the high. They don't live at the low. What they live in is the chunk in the middle. And all you need is a number of strategies that can help you to pick out that next move. Now, we spoke a little bit about futures. You, you just spoke a little bit about futures. The CME, I use that as an indicator for who's coming into the market. So the CME has the largest futures trading contract in the world on Bitcoin currently. And we've seen their volume uh, increase significantly since April, massively significantly. Now, what that says to me, Tony, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this, is that you're not going to get your everyday trader uh, trading Bitcoin futures on the CME. What it means, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> What it means is that there's uh, institutional players coming in. Now, whether those are institutional players taking that volume and offering it to retail, <coughs> 
or hedge funds. If you don't have a derivative where you can minimize your risk based against a, a ability to shorten long, <clears throat> you have to have the futures. What are your thoughts on who's coming into the market? <clears throat> so I do think those, uh, those are institutional traders or even retail traders. But what's important to me, the reason why I don't pay too much attention to the CME future is because the CME future on Bitcoin does not dictate the price discovery of Bitcoin. <clears throat> it isn't like the future on gold or oil where the futures contract is the de facto price discovery and it drives price. That's not what's happening in the CME future of Bitcoin. It's more like the future on the S&P 500. Uh, it doesn't matter how much volume the future of the S&P 500 has. It doesn't move the price of the S&P 500. No. Uh, the underlying stocks do. And uh, that's why I have not been paying too much attention uh, to the CME future. I do pay more attention on what's happening at the exchange level. And it's also been concerning me that like this market, Bitcoin is going up way too fast based on like what looks like underlying demand. I don't see too many new players coming in. Everyone keeps saying, you know, uh, institutional investors are coming in, they're coming in. I don't think so. The regulatory environment is still not clear. It hasn't changed at all. Um, uh, exchanges are still getting hacked. Look at Binance. Um, I mean, how could a real institutional investor trust the underlying Bitcoin market? They can't. Like every other day, there's another article about price manipulation. Um, so after the CME created their contract, the CFTC had a bit of a problem. They're like, wait a minute, you guys have absolutely no control of the underlying price discovery. So they started, you know, reaching out to these exchanges that the CME is using for the underlying price discovery index. And the exchanges are like, we're not giving you all of our customer yeah. information. So there's this internal battle going on. I just think it's too risky for institutional investors to still be involved in this market. Not that I think it's risky. I mean, like I'm, perfectly happy holding my Bitcoin on hardware wallets, but I would be nervous about an institutional investor. Like even if I ran a big institutional company, uh, I don't know how much time I would have to spend. Like, how do I protect that Bitcoin? Uh, do I trust an exchange? Do I trust Coinbase? Do I trust Fidelity? Do I trust Binance with holding that Bitcoin for me? If the answer is no, I got to hold it myself. How much do I trust my own IT department not to steal that Bitcoin from me you know, and run away to China? I mean, there's these huge problems that have no solutions yet, which is why I am still a little skeptical on traditional finance being in. I, look, I, I, I get your point of view, but, but, but I'll, I'll go against you on that, Tone. Um, I really will. And, and, and the reason I'll do that is because your average retail investor is not going to be going and paying for a CME fee, all right? They're not trading CME futures. They're on BitMEX, they're on Bitfinex, <coughs> they're on these different platforms. <coughs> Sorry, I had, I had water go down the wrong hole. Um, they're, not, they're not big players, all right? For me, for me personally, uh, you've got, you, let's say I run an institution that runs 500 wait, wait, million. Wait, 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 wait. We're talking about a traditional retail investor, right? A traditional retail investor may be smarter than, uh, risking their Bitcoin at BitMax, a traditional retail investor would rather use the CME future. Correct. Like I would. Correct. Exactly my point. 
is that the I, I truly believe the next wave of our bull run, the next the next wave of investment that's going to come through into Bitcoin uh, to start with, and then possibly or maybe not, we'll talk about this in a minute, flow down into other tokens is a 40 to 65 year old plus. And the reason I believe that is because they've either been they've either taken part in the dot com. Uh, they've either made money or lost money, depending on how well they played it, or they weren't involved, but they watched it. They watched the 2000 boom. There was two booms, 1996 and 2000. They were, they were very aware of the 2000 boom. Don't get off your goddamn phone. You're talking to me here, son. <laughs> they, they, got, they watched it, right? They watched it go up. They watched it come back down. They didn't want to buy Bitcoin in the, uh, in the trajectory that was going in 2017. They also don't want to buy the bottom. They don't want to buy the top. They don't want to buy the bottom. But and here's the big but, and this is what I've invested a lot of my time and money onto. What they can see is that phoenixes do rise from the ashes. And out of the top 10 companies in the world right now, a lot of those are phoenixes that rose from the dot-com bust. Now, of course, Facebook is not one of those, but they are a progression of the technology that is the internet. Now, if we look at that, and they, and we look at those, I want to say we look at those, those are the baby boomers, the people that have had a generation without war, that have made a lot of money through business and real estate. These are the people that see themselves as savvy. They're the people that in, invest outside of their uh, pension fund, superannuation, 406 or seven, whatever the number is in the US. But these are the people I think that they, they, they know how to recognize the next movement. Now, I see these as the next real bastion of hope for our industry. And they're not going to be trading on the CME, but what they will be doing is they'll be using Ameritrade. They'll be using different big exchanges, big, what well, we call them exchanges in our market, they're brokers. Now those brokers are gonna be using the CME to back their contracts on CFDs or, or options or whatever their margin products are to allow them to have that volume. The increase in the CME's contracts to me suggests that whether it be directly institutional or a direct institutional cash flow into retail, those high net worth people, I think it's a real positive sign. And I use it as an indicator for who's coming. Am I wrong? Um, no, no, you're not wrong. But I think that um, I think eventually the ETF will come. And I think a lot of them are waiting for that. Not but only ETF a big the retail deal? people, but also these why is the ETF future? You, you know as well as I do, man. Without futures, there ain't no ETF price. Like, what, what, why is the ETF still a big thing? We need derivatives. Well, ETF makes it easy for that 401k and uh, for that, you know, self directed retirement guy to buy into Bitcoin. You have GBTC, but it's not a great instrument. But where are the ETFs going to get their underlying prices from if it's not from a credible, worldly known futures contract? Uh, oh, it's not, it's not going to be from the futures contract. It's going to be, uh, they're probably waiting for uh, something like Fidelity or maybe backed uh, to actually start trading the yeah. underlying Bitcoin uh, to people in a regulated way. So I, I think it's a chicken and egg thing. Uh, right now, Fidelity is go, just going to do custody. They're going to hold it on behalf of people. But there's probably a, like an internal discussion going on where... Uh, people like Fidelity are going to the SEC saying, hey, you know, uh, a Bitcoin ETF would be really, really nice. And uh, the SEC is probably saying, yeah, you know, maybe if we had a regulated institution trading Bitcoin uh, that we trust, maybe the ETF would be closer, right? So, yeah. uh, <laughs> 
above and beyond a, a, a futures contract, a, more of a physical. I know it's hard. When we say physical, um, you know, we're not going to get like, there's no physical Bitcoin, but there is holding of Bitcoin. So when, we, when I talk to the holding of the physical, it's the holding of an actual Bitcoin as opposed to a derivative derived from a series of different providers. Uh, Tony Vaz has left the building. Uh, I'm not sure who the next guest will be, but I'm sure we'll be back in a minute. Um, oh, let, me, let me turn my lights on. I just got dark here. Oh, uh, mate, the Ukraine power blackouts. You know what's going on there, mate. You're uh, you're in a shady part of town. I know how you operate, Tone. Look first, oh, and oh, so my, my, my water my, my water here is going out like every afternoon. <laughs> this guy can't have a hot shower to save his life. And let me tell you, when I met him, god damn it, he needed one. <laughs> now, listen, Tone. I'm not sure if you can hear me or not, but the last question I've got for you is this. You have a very strong position on altcoins. All right. Now, I know that that causes a lot of stir. You know, you've got a lot of followers. You got a lot of people that the bigger you become, the more people throw shit at you. We both are very aware of that. Now, what's your take on altcoins and why? Why do you not think that any of them have a place? Sure. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. Uh, very straightforward. Thank you. And um, throughout the bear market, once we were going down, uh, one of my criteria was um, I thought that Bitcoin would go lower in order to basically figuratively kill off the alts. Mm -hmm. And um, I always said that Bitcoin and the crypto space cannot get to a really good bull market unless Bitcoin separates from the alts. That means Bitcoin goes up, alts don't. Or they keep going down or they just stay down. Yeah. And um, look, I expected Bitcoin to go a little bit lower to achieve this. And uh, when Bitcoin started going higher, I was very concerned that Bitcoin is rising and the alts never actually died. So now the alts are going to rise as well. But what we're witnessing over the last three months is Bitcoin is rising and alts are not. In fact, some of the alts are continuing to fall. So Bitcoin is trying to separate. Uh, there are multiple reasons for this, but if we just take the, the whole non-Bitcoin crypto space and break it down into a couple of things. So Bitcoin has um, some altcoins that consider themselves competitors or facilitators because they don't like to call yeah. themselves competitors. Yeah. Litecoin is one of them. Well, Litecoin, we're not really competing with Bitcoin, but we're the silver to Bitcoin's gold. Um, Monero is more open about it. Yes, we're competing with Bitcoin because we have privacy and they don't. So you have some of these old coins that are, that are nothing more than additional money like yeah. Bitcoin. So if you are uh, competing with Bitcoin as money, you have a couple of problems. One of them is, let's look at the light, uh, Litecoin example. This is the silver to Bitcoin's gold. I don't know if you've read the Bitcoin standard by Saifedean, but he pointed something amazing out in that book. He pointed out that while silver has been better money than gold for thousands of years, that's because silver has always been a micropayment to gold. Yep. That completely changed in the 20th century. With electricity and technology, gold can now scale. By backing the dollar with gold, you can now use gold as a micropayment uh, because as, as a second layer solution. And that has completely removed silver 
as having any kind of a money property going forward. And this is why the gold to silver ratio has reached an all time high and I think it's going higher. And pretty soon, maybe not soon, maybe by, by the end of our lifetime, silver will, have, will be like copper. It will only have an industrial price. It will have no premium as potential financial asset anymore. Only industrial. Litecoin has the same problem. Uh, if Bit, since Bitcoin is scaling with the Lightning Network, uh, that means there's no need for silver to Bitcoin's gold. There's no need for uh, inflation on top of Bitcoin as a micropayment. So Litecoin's use case completely goes away. Now let's talk about the privacy coin Monero. Uh, same thing. Uh, it, it's almost the same problem. Bitcoin will have privacy as a second layer solution. That privacy will be good enough. And there's no reason to inflate. Like one of the things that makes Bitcoin so valuable is the fact that there will only be 21 million Bitcoin. Yeah. All of these um, altcoins trying to be money like Bitcoin, um, it's just inflation on top of Bitcoin in a less secure way. Uh, less people use them. And nobody wants to, no one wants to use, no one wants to accept a hundred different currencies at their business. It's ridiculous, right? You want to you accept one that's also the best store of value. So all of these uh, competing currencies, they, they, they just can't really compete. It will be Bitcoin. And people are like, well, Bitcoin is too slow. It doesn't update fast enough. And I'm like, yes, that's what gives us stability. That's what uh, you know, makes people have more confidence in it. If you can change parameters in Bitcoin every month, who's going to trust it? Uh, to, to be this censorship resistant, <laughs> unconfiscatable asset. So, uh, so this removes competing currencies from equation. Now we have uh, these ICOs and these platforms. We have uh, Ethereum, we have EOS, we have uh, Tezos, Cardano, BitShares. Uh, these are like platforms for smart contracts. Mm -hmm. uh, economically, I don't understand why they need to reinvent their own money. Um, if you want to have a smart contract platform, have a smart contract platform. It's going to be hard for you to decentralize it. But even if you could, um, you can use other forms of payment to secure those smart contracts. Now, Bitcoin is building this as well with their liquid sidechain. So the liquid sidechain can, can host your smart contracts. You take your Bitcoin, you move them into uh, the Bitcoin sidechain. Uh, each Bitcoin becomes one liquid Bitcoin. Uh, the price remains stable in the form of Bitcoin. Uh, so Bitcoin will be able to compete as a smart contract layer as well. And um, so, and, and all of these use cases will go away. And uh, none of these other systems I consider really decentralized. A few of them have started this concept called merge mining with Bitcoin that mm. at least gives them security. Uh, but uh, there's like they're all more volatile than Bitcoin. I mean, they're not very useful. I just don't think any of these altcoins are good investments. I mean, if you want to trade them, fine. I mean, I was never a penny stock trader. I mean, I've considered all types of trading in my trading career, and uh, trading penny stocks was not my forte. But come on, you know people that are like that, that call that probably still call you up, Cobb, and they're like, dude. You got to buy this stock. It's going to rise. I'm like, oh, yeah, how, mu how much is a share? Half a penny. Yeah. Like, you, you've, got, you've gotten those calls, right? Dude, I, I made a buy. Uh, yes. And uh, you still me, have yeah. friends that are penny stock trading. 
Mate, Australia, dude, look, I'm telling you, we went through a mining boom. We're going through a second mining boom. Every person wants to tell you about a mining stock that's sitting on a massive tenement of gold or uranium or iron ore. Every motherfucker wants to tell you something. I get that. And that's why the educated make their own decisions and the uneducated take tips. I don't know anybody that has made a long-term career out of taking tips. Right. No, that's true. But it's not just tips, right? Like there is nothing wrong with trading penny stocks. No. It's just not forte. Um, just don't fall in love with them. Yeah. Um, and to me, trading altcoins is really a casino of trading penny stocks. And it's just not my thing because I don't consider them worthy of a long-term investment. Yeah. I would rather trade you know, Google's and Amazon's and Netflix, at least I'm trading something that I know is not going to implode tomorrow. Now there are exceptions, you know, Bear Stearns, where I used to work and Lehman Brothers. There are occasional exceptions where a monster company that you think is not going to like die in a week's time span can, can die. But these are exceptions. Uh, where this is the norm in the penny stock world. Yeah. This is the norm in the crypto world. I'd yep. rather have that be like a one in a thousand exception Ooh, than a one in a 20 uh, norm shop. And um, I always tell people there's nothing wrong with trading these things. But when I see people talk about how Ripple is going to replace Bitcoin, I mean, those people are either liars or, or like stupid. Like, I don't know how else to call them. And it bothers me. There's nothing wrong with trading Ripple, but it's totally centralized. They created 100 billion Ripple tokens because they wanted the money. And now they have a lot of money because they got this army of people that are pumping it for them uh, because they're holding it. And that's what's really been disappointing me about this space. And it needs to mature. Uh, Bitcoin is different. Uh, all this other stuff pretending to be Bitcoin is, is not different at all. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm, Bitcoin dominance may come back to 90%, 95%. I don't know. I don't really care. As long as Bitcoin continues to separate from each individual altcoin, because it only takes an hour to create another one and pump it into the, uh, into the top 20 by market cap. So it's irrelevant to me what percentage Bitcoin is, as long as it separates. I think I said that. Uh, by the end of this decade, there will not be a single altcoin that is more than 3% of Bitcoin's market cap. And uh, a few years later, no single altcoin will be more than 2% of Bitcoin's market cap. And then no single altcoin will be more than 1%. You know, uh, cumulatively, they can add up, but individually, uh, they're going to go away. Competing currencies will go away. And all this other stuff will become, you know, actual equities of set company. Like to me, uh, Ripple is an equity of the company Ripple. Uh, XRP, yeah. Ethereum is the equity of the company Ethereum because to me, Ethereum is just a centralized database of smart contracts. Uh, and eventually we'll head that way. Look, I, I love how passionate you are about that. I love how certain you are, um, you know, as you know, the wall street saying says often in doubt, oh, sorry, often wrong, never in doubt. Now as traders, that is, that is the law we live by. Um, you know, when I trade, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do. I'm not trying to get them on board my trade, 
But look, I'm wrong often, mate. I, I take tra- I trade often. I trade lots, right? So I'm I'm very involved in the markets. So that's what I do. That's my business. That's my my first business aside from the education, the media was was to trade markets. So shit, yeah, I'm wrong all the time. Don't get me wrong. But I love the, the certainty you have in your belief system. I think it's really strong and it served you very well for a long time. Now, I also know that you educate people as well. And I know you do a lot of travel. Um, speaking of which, actually, we've got a, a national tour of Australia coming up. And from there, we're going to be moving around the world as well. So it'd be really cool maybe to catch up with you in some of the US states and cities. Because um, I know that there's a registration process. which doesn't cost them. They register and they come along, put their city in where they want to be. And um, so far, the biggest city we've got outside of Australia is Los Angeles. And uh, it looks likely we'll be there in January next year. So actually, if there's any listeners or viewers that want to come along, get to the website, tradercob.com and register the city you're in because we are up for a US tour. And it'll be in January or thereabouts because my kids are on holiday then. So I can jam the holiday in with some business. It'd be really cool to catch up. Have you got anything coming up in any cities at the moment, mate? Because I know you do travel and I know you also teach people as you go. Yeah, it depends on when in January we might coordinate. I was thinking yeah. of swinging by LA in January and then heading over to Australia in January as well. Um, I, have, uh, I have my two conferences. They already happened this year. And uh, the next one on Confiscatable, I'm happy to be wearing the shirt right now, is going to take place in Funny February. Enough. So that's a long time away. Yeah, cool. uh, my other one just happened. It was in April in Malta. Next one will probably be in May. Um, I started doing a few more webinars uh, on ToneBase.com in the workshop section. There's a webinar coming up this Sunday, and it's going to focus on entries, exits, and stop losses. Uh, I already did my webinars on technical analysis, uh, beginner and advanced. And my next two are going to be entries, exits, and stop losses. You know, where to enter, where to set that stop loss. uh, I don't like the term risk versus reward. Everyone's like, oh, what's your risk versus reward rate? I love that shit. I know know what my risk is. I don't know where the price is going, so I can't tell you what my reward is going to be. I'm not a fortune teller. So uh, in order to calculate your risk, and then a really important one, and this one is like no one wants to teach this, no one wants to learn this, but it's probably 80% of your success as a trader, which is risk management and money management. Basically, how much to risk on any given trade. And uh, something that you can only learn by trial and error, but I'm going to attempt to teach one of these webinars as well, probably sometime this summer. And um, in person, all I have is Dallas coming up because I'm speaking at a conference there in August. Uh, So I'll do uh, an in-person workshop in Dallas. After that, I might be moving them online. Uh, It's just a little bit easier that way in the current environment, but we'll see, you know, we got to adapt to WAP to what our audience uh, actually, you know, expects. Uh, That's about it for me. Other than that, just traveling and speaking about Bitcoin. You know, I'm taking on too many jobs and this is why it's difficult (laughs) to find time to trade. I mean, my my real passion is educating about Bitcoin. Uh, Trading is something that kind of stuck with me uh, because educating about Bitcoin, you know, doesn't pay anything. And I needed to kind of finance my life. So I said, hey, you know, <laughs> I used to be a trader. I'm a trader. I can teach it if people want to, you know, learn how to trade. And uh, that brought in a little bit of money to finance my career of traveling the world and speaking in public about what Bitcoin is. 
and uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, the YouTube channel is just more for fun that I also do. Uh, I still like interviewing people. My favorite shows are the law shows, the daily shows, which we haven't been doing. But oh, lately, it's been okay. all about all the, the price. Fun. Everyone all wants to know about the price. You say like interviewing people, dude. I'm waiting for the knock on the goddamn door, brother. Come on, throw me a bone here. You know I know how to trade markets. You know I've got a different way of doing it to you. You know I've got something to offer. Stop holding back on me, man. Stop holding back on me. I'm ready. I'm waiting. I'm willing. I'll give. I'll give. I'll give. Don't close that door on your mate here in Australia, brother. <laughs> Well, uh, well, 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 let's try and catch up in LA and then maybe in Australia in January. Oh, look, you played too hard to get. I've taken you for the bloody Italian dinner. I've taken you out for drinks. I've done about as much as I'm willing to do to pull my pants down, right? You got to come to me with something now for, for, for crying out loud tone. Listen, we get along really well. I appreciate your sentiment. I appreciate your views. I appreciate who you are and what you're doing for the space. I love speaking with you whenever I get the chance to do so. We should keep in better contact and have more of your opinions across my show. Even if you're a prick and won't have me across yours, I still respect your tone. I love what you do and uh, I look forward to meeting you again very soon. We've got to talk personally about this LA event. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Tone Vase. Thank you so much for your time. Bye for now.